Hello and welcome to the Conscious Life Podcast. Conscious Life is a community of entrepreneurs, artists, storytellers, and other leaders who care about living our highest potential so we can make meaningful impact in the world. On the Conscious Life Podcast, we explore everything from holistic health and creative expression to how to combat racism and climate change. We believe that these conversations will help to create a better world together. I'm your host, Sumi Krishnan. Let's begin. I am so excited to finally bring you this conversation with serial entrepreneur and now venture capitalist, Elisa Miller out. This interview was such gold that I've decided to release it now, even though we actually recorded this years ago in 2016. Since this episode was recorded, Elisa has started her own seed stage venture capital firm called Chloe Capital, where she invests in women-led innovation companies. Elisa is an experienced tech entrepreneur, investor, board director, and community builder, and you can read her full and impressive bio in the show notes. We are all so inspired by everything that Elisa does and can't wait for you to get to know her. In this episode, Elisa talks candidly about how she grew her multiple businesses, about different ways to make a social impact, inspiration and tactics for actually getting shit done, why she believes in being radically transparent with your employees, how to land Fortune 500 clients, the rituals she uses to tap into flow state, and so much more. So listen carefully and get ready to take her lessons and apply them to your own life and business. Here we go. Elisa, so happy to have you here today. Would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your company and what you currently do? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sumi, for having me here. So my company is Singlebrook. We are a custom web and mobile software development firm based in Ithaca, New York. And we do a mix of creating custom software and custom websites for clients all over the world, including Fortune 500 companies, big universities like Cornell and Yale, for um, startups and nonprofits and social enterprises as well. Um, we, um, we do that work. And then we also are a certified benefit corp and a certified B corp. Um, which means that we are a for-profit company, but we have a social and environmental mission as well. Um, so we also believe in kind of making the world a better place through technology and using technology for positive change in the world. Um, and so we do also lots of events uh, tied to that mission in addition to, our, um, in addition to living that mission through our work for our clients. Um, we are, I've also got a couple of other initiatives going right now. Uh, one is um, doing another startup on the side um, in the space around um, messaging and kind of chatbots and that, that space. And then I've also working in um, women in tech and community building around women in tech and diversity in tech, which is another big passion of mine right now, just in that, um, as many of you know, the tech space is not as diverse as it could be, nor is the, you know, high growth entrepreneurship space, nor is the venture capital and angel investing mm, space, all, yep. of the, all of those spaces, that whole kind of ecosystem and landscape around innovation right now is being driven, you know, largely by, um, largely by a handful of white men still, uh, which is yep. why I feel like very strongly that this space is also defining a future for all of us because technology innovation is happening at this incredible incredibly rapid pace right now and truly, truly shaping our future. 
And I just feel very strongly that we need to have a lot more voices at the table building that future together. So we need to have yes. people of color. We need to have women at the table. It needs to be a much more balanced perspective so that we can be sure to build a future that really is better for all of us. Um, and Love including it. Love for, it. You can just including for the white men. We'll build a better future for yep. white men, too, <laughs> if we can do it yep. that way. You yep. know? So it's going to yep. be a better future for everyone if, if there's more diverse mm. voices at the table. So those yes. are those are some of the things some of the things I'm working on right now. Very cool, very cool. When did you get started, sort of, on this path of entrepreneurship, and what led you to that? Oh, great question. So I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, so Single Brook is my third company. The startup and the sort of women in tech organization I'm starting, those are all kind of like my fourth and fifth <laughs> organization. So I, wow. I'm definitely, definitely of the serial variety. I started my, um, my first company right out of college. Um, and, um, basically, I think I've always been interested in, in entrepreneurship and in doing my own kind of doing my own thing um, from an early age. I started when I was a kid, even I was, you know, had little, little hustles going on the side, like, you know, creating my own, I created my own fashion magazine when I was a little kid and sold it to all my family members, and, you know, found <laughs> a little, you know, found, <laughs> found ways to, um, I, I created a mystery series because I was really into, you know, reading mysteries as a kid. And so I, I started to write my own mystery wow. series and sold, sold that as well to my family members and, you know, just did little, little <laughs> projects on the side to whatever I could do to kind of, you know, hustle things. And then, um, uh, yeah, and then as second I got out of college, I was really ready to start my own thing. And I, I worked at other companies. I was in New York City. I went to Columbia and Barnard College, and I um, I was in New York City, and I worked at several companies in New York City while I was doing some startups on the side. So I um, I got a lot of experience working at companies of all different sizes. Um, in addition to kind of starting my own thing. In fact, my first um, job job out of college that I was working at while I was funding my bootstrapping my first <laughs> my first company was um, was an invention and product development company uh, called MHC Gannon Company. I worked with actually the um, the inventor who developed the first musical greeting card for Hallmark and patented that that chip yeah, and that wow. technology. Yeah, which was huh. pretty cool. So. Um, so it was he. I was working with him after he had already invented that and had you know had already uh -huh. um, made made some money off of that chip and that patent. Um, but he was uh, he had a bunch of other inventions in the works and was was you know manufacturing all different types of products at the time. And so I worked at that company um, and was in sort of the invention and product development space. And I worked with him actually for about three three and a half years and learned a ton about all different aspects of running a business. Um, it was really fun to get to, you know, kind of learn things not just from doing it on my own at my startups, but also learn a lot from other sort of established business people and what they, you know, and learning a lot of best practices from them as well. Um, so did you, you were it. working on yeah. your startups while you were working for MHCN with this inventor? Exactly. Exactly. So and yeah, I worked for him part time. How did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did you balance that in your daily life? Like, and why were you working? Yeah. Like, how? What made you want to work for him versus do your own thing? 
Yeah, good question. Yeah, well, I, I, well, I did both basically right, right off the bat. So I, um, I knew I wanted to start a company with some of my college friends, but I also um, knew I needed to get some kind of source of income. I didn't start out, you know, uh-huh. independently wealthy or anything like that. So I've, everything uh-huh. I've created in terms of my businesses, I've done basically just bootstrapping. Um, so I, um, uh-huh. so basically, so I knew I needed a, a job, major I needed a source of challenge. income. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Kind of so, thing for a lot so, of women here, like, how do you leave your job, or how do you balance the two if you don't leave the job? Right, exactly. So, so the way I got the job was funny. I was actually babysitting um, while I was in college. I was just babysitting on the side for you know a little bit of spare cash while I was in college, and um, and uh, the it turns out the people I was babysitting for had this invention company, and I was um, mm. I was. I was their babysitter, and I was a really good babysitter. So when I graduated, um, they were like, we really don't want to lose our babysitter. So maybe you, I know you need a job. You know, they knew I needed something, you know, something more than babysitting at that point. Um, so they said, well, we'll hire you at our company part-time. You can babysit part-time, mm. and then you can work on your company on the side, you know. So, so basically it. I had kind of three part-time gigs, essentially, um, and um, – and they were very flexible with me and allowed me to have some real flexibility in my schedule so that I could um, work on my startup on the side and in the evenings and weekends. And I had like one day a week that I could kind of take off and work on that stuff. And, um, mm. and then, then it turned out I was, um, they realized I had a lot of skills when I was working at their company and I moved up very quickly. So they, then I had to stop babysitting and work at their company more because they realized they needed me mm. more there. <laughs> right. And then, right. Um, and then, and then meanwhile, I was getting my things off the ground. And at that point, I didn't have any kids. I was young and in New York City. So I was just, um, I basically just worked around the clock. Like that was how I balanced it. It wasn't really balanced. It just meant like I worked evenings, I worked weekends, I worked, you know, okay. and I worked every day. And, right. um, and, and so it was all just about kind of basically just doing it 24 seven. Um, and it wasn't perfect. I can, I can be honest, that wasn't a perfectly balanced kind of lifestyle. And I knew that that wasn't sustainable forever. But by the time I got to my second company, I was able to build a company that could sustain itself. So I didn't have to work any other jobs for my second company. And I could just Ooh, do that. So tell, so and then I was able to get more balance. And so then, you, um, so you stopped working on this first idea or, or you sold it. Yep. Or what, what happened and how did you transition to the second company? And what happened? Yeah. And that's really interesting that you say you were able to sort of get that set up so that it just, did you say ran by itself or? Yeah, so the first one I just transitioned out of, and then I moved right into the second business, which was, um, uh, which was actually an event production company. So I was uh, okay. producing a bunch of different types of events in New York Let City. Let me just like interrupt big, you real I'd, quick. So you, oh, sure. So your, your first company, was it tech-based? It was not tech-based. I didn't get into tech until my third company, actually. <laughs> so, um, okay. so I've worked what in a number, ma- number of different what industries. What did you major in, in in undergrad? Theater. Theater. Interesting. And my, uh, okay. Yes. And, and I had a liberal arts degree, so I studied everything. So it was definitely like Ivy League, okay. liberal arts degree. So kind of preparation for any kind of anything yes, you want to do, really, after that. This is fascinating, um, though, because so many women who don't have a technical background or don't have a technical degree are intimidated by the tech field and feel sort of right. like, well, you know, I don't understand it, so I, I don't know how I can be a part of it. So, so okay, right. so keep going then. So with your theater background oh, yeah. and your non-technical first first company, then you started this event exactly. production company, and then somehow that led you into tech. So tell, so yeah, tell us that story. 
Yeah, so um, yeah, so I, um, in terms of getting into tech for my third company, <laughs> basically I, um, you know, it was it was funny because I was always, um, I like to say that I was kind of nerdy before it was cool to be nerdy. Mm-hmm. Like now, mm-hmm. it's kind of, now it's cool. Now it's hip. Like, you know, it's, it, now there's a lot of, uh, you know, now tech entrepreneurs are, you know, the new celebrities of our the era, cool basically. But, right. it, but it wasn't, but it wasn't le- always like that. Um, right. So, right. so, um, so I feel like when I was in, when I was in high school, it, it wasn't really cool to be interested in tech, it's, it, you know, tech stuff <laughs> right. at that point. Right. So, um, so I, ha- but I hung out with a lot of really, really nerdy people. Like those were all my friends. And, um, okay. and, and so as, and so, so since my circle of friends, since I was surrounded by people who were, even though I wasn't doing um, programming at an early age, um, I was surrounded by a lot of people who were into into tech, and those okay. were kind of like the people I was naturally attracted to. I was always in the like sci-fi and fantasy clubs and things like that. Okay. All these okay. really really nerdy people, and we were not cool <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, um, but we were. Um, but then it turned out that that was how I got interested in the tech space down the road was by being around these other nerdy people I was used to. It makes sense that now I run a team of programmers because in a way, like I was always hanging around you know, people okay. who are engineers and who are into programming and coding. So from an early age, like, that's that's who I was attracted to. And I ended up marrying a programmer as well. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so so okay. I got into the space, too, which makes sense, again, because that's who I was interested in hanging out with. And that's who, you know, that was kind of my my social scene from an, from an early age. Um, so right. I ended up marrying a, marrying a programmer, and and um, how and did you meet? How did you we meet founded, your husband? So we founded our we founded our tech company together. Um, so, okay. the, so the third company that I founded was with my husband, um, who is a who was a programmer. He started programming. He did program from an early age when he was about eight. He started programming. Um, so and I was able to basically just start learning about tech. Um, through my relationship with him and through kind of, you know, the space I'd always been interested in. Um, and then I basically just learned it by doing. So I didn't go to school for it. Okay. But honestly, you can, I feel like you can learn a lot more by doing um, in the tech space than you can in, in a standard traditional academic program. Because right. most of right. most academic programs are kind of, frankly, they're behind the times in terms of what's happening. Mm-hmm. The technology, the pace of change in technology is so fast that that most of the big universities can't keep up. So the classes that they're teaching are not necessarily as relevant to people in the field. So uh, we've hired people right out of high school, actually, who've come and worked at our company and learned more by doing and by you know getting right into it um, than, than from a school program, you know, even, um, even in terms th- of actually coding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have people who, mm-hmm. I mean, well, all mm-hmm. of them were people who were doing some coding before they came to mm-hmm. us. Usually they were already interested in it and doing it some on the side, but they were able to learn a lot by jumping in and kind of interning or apprenticing here. And then, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then building and then building up their skills more so than they would have in a university program. Um, and so okay. it's, it's interesting thing about the space, you know. Now, do you think that so this third company founded after your events production company that's Single Brook? Yes, correct. Okay, and do you think that you needed a tech-oriented uh, co-founder in order to have made that happen? Um, I think it really helped for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that mm-hmm. it would have been definitely I would have been less likely to probably jump into it if I didn't start it with my, you know, with my husband. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a great way to get started, but I absolutely don't think you need to have a tech background to jump into it. 
Um, I mm-hmm. certainly didn't. And the way I found my way into it at first was interesting. So I, um, I basically looked at it like a language challenge in a way. I was, you know, mm-hmm. it's like learning another, learning another language, right? So you're literally learning, you know, programming languages, but also learning a whole other set of sort of lingo and concepts. And there's a whole language around technology that we use. So what I did was I just used, I leveraged the strengths I had, which are that I love to learn new things. I love innovation. Um, and I'm very good with language. I mean, from having a theater background, um, I was communication and language was always a strength for me, right? I was always good at learning foreign languages or, you know, picking up anything kind of language related. So I knew that that was my way in. So basically I just learned it. I thought about it like a, like a new language and I, I tried to learn all the concepts and learn what all of the acronyms meant and learn what all the terminology meant. And I used it like almost at first just like language and vocabulary study in a way. Um, so because I knew that was, very cool. that was a strength I could leverage. And I, I was good. I was always good at math and science. It wasn't like I was actually very balanced across the board. I mean, I was a straight-A student. I was always very driven. You know, I, 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 was, I was good at all of those things, but I didn't come at it right, right off the bat from like, oh, I'm coming at it from a strong engineering background. I knew that the language side was an easier way in for me. So I learned all of that first and started to learn all of the concepts and then only later started really like and, – and still to this day, I'm not like a, you know – I'm not like a super proficient coder. That's not what I do all day. I'm more right. interested in the entrepreneurship side of things. I do do some coding on the side, and I do a little bit, um, and I got into that kind of later just kind of as a as an offshoot from once I started learning all the concepts and once I started learning the understanding the terminology and understanding it from a conceptual and abstract standpoint and a language standpoint, then I started to say, okay, well, now let me try, you know, learning some of these, learning how to actually code some and learning how to actually, you know, play out some of these concepts. But um, okay. but it was a different, so it was a kind of a unique way into it, you know? Um, but right, but, right. You know, no, that's, so, that's a really unique perspective because, okay, yeah. so if, if someone's intimidated by, and, so I, you know, there was a business, uh, I think it was Bloomberg Business Week, entire magazine for the entire month, um, two months ago or three months ago dedicated to teaching you understanding code if you're not technical. And the entire mm-hmm. magazine was like, okay, why why it's important, why it's the way, you know, like even if you're not a technical person, why you should at least yep. know the basics of the lingo and the language. Um, and so that, that's a fascinating perspective that you bring in terms of approaching it like literally like a language, like somebody who's good in, in yeah. theater and the arts can, can actually grasp this technical stuff because it's just another language and another way of communicating. Yeah, that's how I did it. I just played to my own strengths. And it's like, I do believe in that concept Mm -hmm. too of digital literacy for all. And I'm, you know, definitely working on coding with my children. I have two daughters Mm -hmm. and, um, but, um, but it's, um, but for me, it was since I didn't start doing it as a child and since I wasn't exposed to it at, at, at as early an age in terms of, you know, um, like a lot of boy children are, you know, that is one of the challenges mm-hmm. I think in our culture, you know, boy children tend to have these yeah. things introduced at an earlier age. It still kind of happens at a pretty young age in, in our culture that the sort of, that this, you know, division starts to happen in the genders with respect to tech. But, um, right. but because I came at to it later, I was still able to say, okay, well, I do have these other strengths. And I literally would make vocabulary lists for myself. Like I would literally write down lists of, like, just like I would for language studies. So I would just sit there and wow. write lists of, ac- I, would, I would literally write out all these acronyms for myself. And I would be like, okay, so this means this. And I would write them out and I would study it like a vocabulary list. 
you know, and just say, okay, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? What does this word mean? Okay, and then I would say, well, what's the concept connected to this word so I can understand how these different things fit together? You know what I'm saying? So, right. and, then, and, right. then the, and then the beauty of that was that I was able to get to a place where I could understand the concepts, understand the language behind it, and be able to jump between talking to a programmer and then also talking to a person who was non-technical about it. And mm-hmm. I think that bridge is really critical for my role and for anyone who's interested in entrepreneurial manage, or, you know, management or project management or, or being in a more entrepreneurial role or a sales or a marketing role, being able to interface between different people because since communication was my strength, I use that to be able to say, okay, well, if I can understand these concepts well enough to talk to the programmers about them and then I can also talk to a non-technical client about them in a way that they can understand it, that becomes actually a very powerful position to sit in because right. I'm very non-threatening and non-intimidating to a client because I can talk about it in a more plain language for them, but then I can also translate to a developer. So it really becomes like it's like I'm a translator. You know, it's, it's yeah, like, a, again, beautiful. it becomes sort yeah. of this, this language role, you know, and really that's right. what I think a lot of people in the tech space need to be able to do because that's a lot of the job is now that we're, we're building things for humans, so we need more people who can interface um, in a very, you know, interface in a very human way with all different people from all different fields and be able to interface between them and people who are, you know, just focused on building the technology and who are in an engineering or implementation role. So and being able to, so, you know, be the bridge between those is really critical right. for where we're going, I think, so, in the future. So question for you then, like for where we're going in the future then, like do you think there is a place for, say, say I'm an entrepreneur, a woman who wants to start my own company, wants to leave my corporate job, but I have absolutely no interest in tech. The whole thing sort of seems, mm-hmm. you know, seems way beyond my comprehension and I don't have a natural affinity or a natural desire to get into it. Do you think there's a place for me if I don't want to get into tech or do you think that as someone who wants to start start a company and be um, on, you know, be innovative today, I need to understand that. Right. It's a really good question. Um, I think that um, I think tech is going to play at least a at least a small role in most businesses moving forward. So it's hard to not to say you don't want to learn any of it or don't want to be involved with mm-hmm. it at all. Um, but I do say think I want to have a, a huge say I want to start a PR firm or something. Like, can I right, do right. that without well, understanding? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I think that there's still some things you can do that are, I think there's a lot of room for innovation in spaces that are what I call like tech-enabled businesses, where it's not tech as the core business, but it's a business that, you know, can benefit from tech in some way or has a tech component in some way, but it's not at its core tech. And I think if you're running a business like that, it's fine. If you're not that interested in the tech part, you hire somebody else who is interested in that part to help, you know what I mean, help with the parts of your business that need to be tech enabled. And then you run, you know, the rest of the company and do the other things. I think a lot of being an entrepreneur is just recognizing what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and what your passions are and um, and having really good self-knowledge so that you can then understand what team members you need to bring on who can um, who can do all of the things that you're not as good at, but, but that's mm-hmm. their passion and that's something that they're really good at. And I think that's where it comes mm-hmm. to that place of, you know, assembling a great team, which is what so many leaders mm-hmm. do. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's really about just knowing, like, okay, if my interest is, P- is PR or, you know, or some other field or food, like mm-hmm. there's 
lot of great innovation happening in food-based mm-hmm. businesses, for instance. Right. You know, so let's say my interest is in food, and I want to create like the next great snack company or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, I can do that, but then I can find people who are like really amazing with e-commerce and with digital marketing, and who are going to be able to right. you know enhance the other parts of my business. Um, and, um, and meanwhile, I do the parts that I'm really good at, which might be like, let's say I was really good at coming up with the, the secret sauce and the recipes, you know what I mean, for instance, right, or, right. or some okay, other part of the business. So depending on right. what it, you know, what it is, you find your, your strength and then you, you complement it with lots of other people. And that's always what I've done is figure yeah. out, you know, what, what can I do and then what do I need a team to do? Yeah. Great. So you said something really interesting that I want to touch on in terms of single group being a benefits corp, a B corp. Um, would you explain mm-hmm. what that is and what motivated you to set up your structure that way and what sort of social mission you're most passionate about? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so a B Corp is a, um, a certification program, um, for for-profit businesses that are looking to use the force of business as a force for good, for social and environmental good in the world. Um, and B Corps can be, um, any type of company. Uh, it doesn't have to be in the tech space. In fact, there's only a handful in the tech space, but there are some in, in all different other industries. Mm. And, there's B Corps all over the world currently. And uh, think of it as a certification similar to how you would have a building that was LEED certified or a piece of fruit that's organic certified. A B Corp has actually gone through a process of certifying their entire business and looking at all aspects of it holistically to evalu- assess and evaluate and measure and benchmark the social and environmental performance of all different aspects of the company. So everything from the governance to, you know, how you treat your employees, what kind of benefit programs you offer to, you know, what kinds of customers you serve, whether you have a social mission, what kind of work you do in the community, you know, all of all of those different aspects. And there's also a new legal structure called the Benefit Corporation, which has been recognized in um, – at this point, I think over maybe 20 to 30 states in the U.S., maybe even more at this point, and mm-hmm. um, including New York, California, um, and Delaware, the big one. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, it, um, mm-hmm. in terms of corporation, in terms of corporate structure, you know, Delaware is where right. most, most people incorporate. So, um, so the, it's a new legal structure, similar to how LLC was a new structure a while back, and it incorporates again right. some of these sort of B Corp certification ideas, and, and many benefit corps do get B Corp certification or some other kind of third-party certification for their business. And, um, and we were actually one of the first in New York State as a as a benefit corp, and we helped get the legislation wow. passed in, in wow. New York. Um, so, um, so, so it's kind of, kind of part of this new effective. movement. Uh huh. And have have you felt that that's affected your like? What are the pros and cons if you had to advise somebody on whether or not to go after either that corporate structure or that certification? Oh sure. Um, I'm fairly biased towards the pros. Obviously, I'm a big um, big champion <laughs> of this this movement. Okay. But um, okay. but so I'll talk about that first, most easily. But the um some of the pros are that um you. When you become a B Corp, you enter basically a whole community of other businesses that are looking to, you know, use their business as a force for good. And, um, and there's incredible opportunities to learn from each other, learn best practice from best practices, also network with each other. So there's a natural incentive from a business standpoint to work with other B Corps and support other B Corps. So one of the things we do is we try to find vendor, you know, when we, we're, when we're using vendors, we might use vendors that are other B Corps as much as possible and others might do the same. So it has a, a natural business value right there. Um, okay. we've certainly gotten clients, we've certainly gotten clients directly from the movement. 
movement and benefited in that way. In fact, we've had people okay. who were literally about to write their check to another web company, and then when they found out that we were a B Corp, they were like, oh, no way. I'm not going to work with that okay. other company. I'm going to work with Singlebrook instead. Um, and because um, people like to work with other companies that share their values, and this is a way to not just um, to, not, to know that a company is not just saying that these are their mm -hmm. values, but that they're actually proving it by going through an, a pretty rigorous assessment mm. and, um, and actually working hard to improve their score and improve their assessment and improve their best practices through this program. So the idea is you're, you know, you, you do the assessment once and you say, okay, this is what my score is, but then you can also be working every two years. You have to recertify. You can constantly be working to figure out like, well, what are ways that I can improve my score? What are ways that I can improve all of my programs to make this better? So for example, you know, implementing things like, you know, paid volunteer programs for employees or implementing better mm. like maternity and paternity policies or, you know, or adding, um, adding better health benefits. There are all kinds of things like that that we've done through the years and we've done them and we've improved our score, but we've also made ourselves a better company overall. Um, we've learned about things like open book management, uh, which is um, an incredible set of practices around, um, you know, using more extreme transparency around all the business finances and empowering everyone on the team to really own the company's finances and to wow. um, understand to understand them and report on them. So it's not just about management reporting to the team, but about the team reporting on the finances and having financial literacy across the organization. Um, so that's a movement I learned about through, you know, through the B Corp movement. I saw other B Corps implementing this and I learned from other B Corps how they had implemented open book management. And then I was able to take that knowledge back and go and implement it in my company and actually get much better um, financial results from it. Because ultimately, the more transparent you are about these things, it turns out that once everyone really understands the company finances, everyone, you're, you're using the brain power of everyone on your team to help improve your financial performance. So everyone ends up, you know, everyone ends up coming up with ideas that make things run even better. And so you, you know, ideally it makes your company better. And in our case, it did. It improved our financial performance quite a bit once we wow. started putting in place those kinds of practices. So that See, was something those that was kinds like, of practices for. Uh -huh. I was going to say for companies here, like where I am in D.C., that is radical. That is so radical right. that, you know, because <laughs> let me ask you, have you found, you know, when your employees found out about the profitability of the company or, you know, how much you, you – and then it are, and you and your husband are 100% owners? Uh, we are, yeah, yeah, the two of us are the owners, but I'm the majority owner. I'm the CEO and majority owner. And and have they had you felt any sort of like when they saw the profitability numbers, um, any sort of resentment or oh my gosh I can't believe you guys are making this much money when I'm only making my 50k salary. Right, right. It's no, it's a it's a great question. And um, and honestly, we don't. So we share everything other than individual salaries. So we don't share, you know, individual salary information. Mm -hmm. um, that's why you share profitability. Much, right? We don't share, but we share profitability and we share everything else. So honestly, uh -huh. actually, once people actually understand all of the numbers, um, you'd be amazed. It's actually the reverse because people are people. I think assume if they don't know or don't understand all the numbers, they actually assume that you're mm -hmm. making and that the business is making more than it is. They don't understand mm -hmm. how much of that money maybe goes to taxes or how much gets, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> how much actually yeah. has to go other places. And once, once you actually lay it all out for them and they see all of the numbers and see, understand how it all works, um, yeah. they're actually like, oh, wow, you know, I thought, 
you know, I thought these people were taking home, like, you know, a lot, lot, lot more than this. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they see that it's actually right. more within reason. You know what I mean? Once everything actually gets, once everything else gets paid for and once they understand all the other expenses inherent in running a business and all the other overhead right. expenses and, you know, and, and things that have to happen. Um, but there definitely are, I mean, there's a great book on it if you're interested and any of the listeners are interested in learning more about open book management uh, called The Great Game of Business um, okay. by Jack Stack. And uh, that's a fantastic resource for anyone interested in learning more about this or looking to kind of run some experiments and, and try it out. I will be honest with you, there were definitely bumps in the road in terms of um, doing this and that um, there were definitely team members who are comfortable with it and then there are some team members who are sometimes uncomfortable with knowing the numbers because for some people it makes them nervous or uncomfortable or it makes them feel mm. more pressure you know, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I was concerned about that, and that definitely is true. That so you definitely have to be careful in terms of how you implement it. But but the truth is, it can also help um, in a way make the team overall stronger because some of the people who are really uncomfortable with it sometimes tend to be people who might have been underperforming anyway from a numbers right. standpoint. You know what I mean? And right. so right. so sometimes exactly. in a way it kind of weeds some of that out. Um, but um, but then you keep the higher performers. You know, <laughs> I, like that. I love that. I love that. And so what is your so when you talk about, um, you know, the B Corp um, certification as well as corporate structure, do you have a specific social mission that you're um, that you're focused on impacting or is it just this overall sense of being a socially positive company that you've described? Sure. So it's a mix. It's definitely one one part of it is is just has to do with looking at all different aspects of our company and seeing how we can make them better, right? Um, you uh -huh. know, as I said, whether it's finances, what vendors you choose, how we treat our how we treat our team, our employees, what kind of relationships we have with our clients, with the community. That's one big piece of it. Um, another big piece of it is we do try to do specific social initiatives in our community. So we do a lot of volunteering with other B Corps to, again, use that, I, that mission of technology for change. And our, our core mantra is also um, code with love, um, which for us mm. has to do with both kind of our passion for programming and our passion for, you know, building great, building great um, software, but it also has to do with our passion for kind of um, using that power to also do do good in the community and sort of spread you know spread love out <laughs> in hmm. the, into the larger community as well. Um, so mm -hmm. we do that by things like partnering with other B Corps and doing volunteer initiatives in our community, both technical volunteering and non-technical volunteering. So we've done everything from working at local soup kitchens or you know mm -hmm. working on um, working on environmental projects like with youth farming projects or with um, the Ithaca Children's Garden or working on trail cleanup for the Finger Lakes Land Trust or um, we've done things like worked at, um, at a, you know, food bank type places, packing sweet potatoes. <laughs> we've done, um, and then we've also done technical volunteering where we try to use technology for social good. So we've run social good hackathons um, where we try to pick um, nonprofits and causes in the community that people care about and bring both our team and the community together to um, work on you know, doing basically like rapid prototyping and coding for uh, for social good projects. So we did that with um, Very cool. we did that as kind of a community hackathon where we all came together to use technology wow. and find ways to use technology innovation for these nonprofits in our community. Um, mm. And then um, and then my other the cause I care about a lot right now, though also from a social standpoint, would be the women in tech and diversity in tech. So that's mm -hmm. the other issue that I'm sort of organizing around the most right now um, and uh, working. On you know organizing some community 
communities around that in, in the central New York region, but hoping to grow that much bigger and, um, and also doing things like mother-daughter coding workshops and things like that to get, you know, get some of that kind of stuff off the ground. So that's kind of the specific cool. cause area that I'm also working on. So it's a mix of, you know, both building a better company, but also working on some specific cause areas too. And how big is your team, Lisa? Um, it's about 20 people all together. We've got wow. about um, about 10 full-time and about 10 part-time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so you said you do some work for Cornell and Yale. I have, this has been just such a fascinating interview. So many, um, so many aspects to your story and your company that are um, extremely valuable for you to have shared. So thank you so much. I want to um, just hit on two more things. Um, how did you land um, these big-time clients like Cornell and Yale, and, and, and what was that process like? Sure, great question. Yeah, and we have just recently taken on, you know, a few more sort of Fortune 500 level clients as well. So it has been, and that has been a process. You know, honestly, we built up to it very gradually. So it was, you know, starting out working with, um, with, you know, some smaller clients here or there, and then, um, and then kind of gradually building up our reputation and getting clients to refer us to other people. Mm -hmm. So it, it was really just the, the old fashioned way of like doing great work for our clients and having them feel happy about the work and so that they spread the word to their friends about what we're doing. And referrals are really kind of the best source of new business there is because um, you've already got an established a level of trust, you know, with mm. a potential client by, by having mm -hmm. a trusted referral. Um, so it's, um, it's even better than most other forms of marketing. So that was definitely how we got, so it was, it, okay. you know, both, both a combination of kind of in-person relationships and networking that we kind of built up, but also um, referrals from existing customers. So that's how we and got I think that's our, a really one of, one of the big, yeah. I, oh, think go ahead. I think that's a really important point just to sort of um, harp on for a second, because a lot of times new business owners and entrepreneurs were so focused on like, okay, marketing, 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 how to get the word out there, how to start, you know, how, what, digital marketing strategy, Facebook ads, SEO, blah, 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 like how to, how to sort of bombard the world with our product, and then are we putting enough um, of our focus and attention on doing amazing work for our current clients? And I see so many businesses fail and fall because of that, because they're so focused on outward-looking future projections and marketing and business development that, mm -hmm. you know, and where is the focus on your current clients? Exactly, exactly. I think that's really the most important critical piece. And if you're doing that well, right. your clients, you know, will refer you to others. Like that's how we got right. one of our, you know, one of our current Fortune 500 companies, Henry Shine, that does men medical equipment. Okay. Um, okay. They, um, it was just directly a referral from one of our longtime customers. Um, nice. One of our longtime customers happened to have several Fortune 500 companies as his client for his business, and the software that we were building for him was being used by other Fortune 500 customers. So we got referred to them, you know, as as potential as direct clients for us as well, and um, and we've done that through a couple of other companies too. Like there's several you know association kind of clients that we work with that were like we work with the American Chiropractic Association and several other national association kind of clients, and um, and that was all through a you know a piece of custom software that we built that was for associations, um, a company called Peer Focus that that you know is software that is used by associations for benchmarking and member research. Okay, and then. Um, and then through them referring us to some of their clients, we ended up working with several <laughs> several association clients as well. Very nice. So it's things like it's things like that. It's just kind of like natural, you know, organic referrals that have been definitely the biggest biggest source of our growth. Um, that and in person relationships 
are really important because, frankly, still with the kind of business we're in with these sort of high-ticket items, you know, people are going to uh-huh. spend, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars or more or millions of dollars on building custom applications out. Um, okay. They're going to do it with somebody that they trust. Um, and, and nothing builds trust like either either a referral from someone you trust or an in-person relationship. Mm-hmm. So even though it's technology, you know, it's harder to, to win, you know, it's going to be harder to win mm-hmm. a several hundred thousand dollar job just over email or just over, right. you know, just by chatting with somebody online or just through sort right. of digital marketing. It's going to be a lot harder than somebody that you've actually met in person. That just establishes an instant level of trust. Right. So maybe an obvious but good point to bring up that the higher ticket your product is, the more important yep. those deep relationships high and the power of yeah. your the power of your current work is to the growth of your mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So where do you spend most of your time, like on a, on a daily basis? It sounds like you have so many things, you know, going on. You've got single book. You've got these two new things that you're working on, the messaging startup and the women in tech um, venture or, or cause that you're really passionate about. And then you've got all of the different functions of, you know, all of those companies, whether it's like we were talking about marketing, business development, or client work, or team building, or, you know, admin finance review. Like, how do you design your days for maximum impact? It's a really interesting question. So, yeah, and then obviously I've got a, you know, I've got a family and two kids I have to take care Mm. of as well. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about entrepreneurship, actually, and about the tech space in particular, is that I feel like it actually allows for the most flexibility um, in terms of lifestyle. And um, and I think that's something that I, that's a message I'd like to get out there to a lot more women as well in the space. That is powerful. It's huge because I think that, you know, again, as a woman, we're really used to this balance of family and work, whether it's taking care of children or taking care of older family members, you know, all of that still falls, you know, falls mostly to the women in our society, let's face it. Right. And, um, and so being in a position that's flexible is really important um, for, for most women in today's society. And, um, and I just find that most other jobs wouldn't grant me the flexibility <laughs> that my, um, right. that, that being my own boss gives me, you know? So, um, so, and, and the tech space in particular, because it can be done from anywhere also. So the fact that you can travel and still be working or be, you know what I mean? Or be working from okay. home or working from, so I'll be honest, like, you know, I do a mix of things. So I, um, one thing is I really take advantage of that flexibility. So I work my schedule around my family and I, you know, I am there to pick up my kids or go on their field trip with them or, you okay. know, or go to their, take them to their, you know, gymnastics or swim lessons. But then once I drop my kid off at maybe her swim class at the Y, I'm there on the Y on my laptop <laughs> working mm-hmm. so I can, you know, so I find ways to, you know, number one, I find ways to use that flexibility and, you know, work from more non-traditional places sometimes. I do work from my office as well, and I love working from my office <laughs> when I can, but uh-huh. I do spend some time traveling, traveling to conferences or traveling around to my kids' things, and so I, you know, I just take advantage of all the great technology tools we have at our disposal. Everything we do on our business is online. I'm always on, you know, whether it's on Google Docs or on Slack or, you know, on uh-huh. Pivotal Tracker, all of our sort of online tools, I can get to them from anywhere and from any device from wherever I am, and that's been incredible for me. The other thing is... Um, I have learned lots of techniques and tips for being like the most efficient and productive person in the world. I've just had to, um, again, you know, because, because as a woman, I have to juggle so many different things. I have learned ways to become very, very efficient. Um, 
So I do things like I, I, I put things into batches. So, for instance, I'll find, like, a chunk of time to just work on mm-hmm. email or a chunk of time to just do meetings or I block off a chunk of days to just give some – I schedule off some open time to just take care of little little tasks that come up. Um, yeah. So I, I organize my days in, like, these sort of bigger blocks and chunks. I also tend to yeah. set a few high priorities at the beginning of the week. Um, I also write everything down. I'm obsessive about lists. I choose. I, I use a tool called Asana um, mm-hmm. to manage all of my different tasks for all and, and, and manage all everything contextually in the different spaces I'm working in. And we use Slack a lot too, but Asana I use in particular mm-hmm. for managing kind of my task load um, and okay. also the task load of, of all the people around me too, and being able to see what everyone else in my organization is accountable for. Um, I also okay. get help like. I have a I have a full time assistant who manages uh-huh. my you know scheduling and my travel and also like manages a whole bunch of other things for our company in terms of helping uh-huh. with marketing initiatives and lots and lots of other things. So I get help. Um, I get help at home some too. Like I get help from a housekeeper. I do things uh-huh. like I order out. I order like a paleo meal plan from my CrossFit okay. gym where like I can get like some prepared meals. So I cook some nights of the week, but I also use these like prepared like you know, fresh, local, organic veggie meals prepared by a local chef who does like this paleo meal plan, right. you know, and I get, I get that also several days a week so that I can, you know, get food on the table for the family. So I find ways to get help, you know, in, in all those different areas. Um, right, right. And then um, both at work and at home. And then I um, use my flexibility and then I just kind of um, put my day into, into these chunks so that I can be very organized in how I approach things and how I, you know, set my priorities for the week and make sure I accomplish those things first um, and how I organize all of my sort of lists and tasks. So I'm very, very orderly about it and very systematic. Okay. And do you find that you are, what percentage of the time do you stick with your plan versus how much room do you give yourself for for Slack? Very good question. I am, I am pretty fluid about things. I'd say another feature that, uh, another, you know, um, another thing that I would say defines me is that I'm very adaptable, very flexible, so I can adjust very quickly to new circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I do always mm-hmm. have a plan, and I am usually, the only thing that does get me into trouble sometimes is that I do like to get things done earlier ahead of time. Like, I'm kind of the opposite of a procrastinator. So if I have okay. a big, difficult task in front of me, I'm going to tackle that first and try to really bang it out quickly to get it over with um, so okay. that I can move on to other things. Um, so the problem with that comes in when, when you know, you try to do something a little bit too early, and then the circumstances change, and you might have to redo mm-hmm. <laughs> some things, you know, yeah. because of it. Yeah. So I'll be honest, that does happen to me sometimes, and that does create a little bit of inefficiency, but it, it's more than balanced out by the fact that, in general, that attitude of trying to get things done quickly and get big things done mm-hmm. first does tend to mostly serve me really well. You know, I like I'm, that. And have I'm you, really on top of things. I like that so much. And the opposite of a procrastinator. If we could all embody that, yeah. that would help a lot. <laughs> do, you, um, exactly. do you, have you always been that way or is it something you learned or practiced? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it was both. I think it was a natural. I think it was definitely a natural ability. Like when I took um, when I took Strength Finder, that kind of assessment um, program. Mm-hmm. Um, my 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 number one strength was achievement, which meant like mm-hmm. the person who really likes to get you know can I say get shit done on this program? Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> CSD, yes, or you can edit it out and make it get stuff done. But um, <laughs> but so that's like so it means that I had a you know I had a a natural inclination towards that. Um, but then yeah. I've also practiced it through my, throughout my life. So it's become a real strength because it's something I do every day basically is, you know, and it's something it's that gives me great joy. So I don't, I don't get as much joy from just like, well, yes, I love like maybe lounging on a beach or something like that. And I can do that for a day or two. It doesn't really give me great joy in the same way that like accomplishing mm. a bunch of things does. So getting yeah. a bunch of stuff done makes me feel so great. Um, and I'd much rather like get a bunch of stuff done and then go lie on a beach and feel okay about it mm-hmm. than if mm-hmm. I had to. I could never lie on a beach if I had lots of things that I knew I needed to get done. You know, mm. I would just be, I would yeah. just go, I would just go crazy. I would just go crazy. So for me, it's like <laughs> I just, I get, I get all my satisfaction from getting stuff done. That's you know, it's very satisfying it. for me. I get great, Got great it. joy from it. I wonder if that's something people who are natural procrastinators can try to apply, like, okay, GSD, GSD, and, like, try to see how what satisfaction they do get. Because I think that is true across, you know, all sorts of personality types, that that, that satisfaction yeah. that comes with achievement is is palpable and is tangible. But I think yeah. a lot of procrastinators or a lot of people who tend to want to hide from their big tasks just don't have that at the forefront of their mind or haven't experienced it enough to – uh, mm-hmm. honestly remember what great joy that brings exactly yeah no i think it mm-hmm. is something to if you can really celebrate that joy you know mm-hmm. and um <laughs> mm-hmm. it's celebrate yeah, that I agree. Joy. that's interesting that's interesting yeah okay well it's been so bad i just want to ask you one um closing question do you have a uh, do you have you know it sounds like you're extremely organized and you know you plan out your your weeks with your weekly priorities and you um, you use asana and a couple other tools to work with your team um, do you have what, what do you have a morning or evening ritual that sort of you embrace daily to help you get in the right, right mind frame or help you tap into that um, that flow state that helps you get your day going yeah, I absolutely do. So I, okay. um, so I get up, um, at about five o'clock usually on the average day. Um, okay. and I, I make myself a green smoothie. Um, and then I go head out to CrossFit. Um, I do that okay. for about an hour. And then I, um, and doing, getting that exercise right at the beginning of the day really helps me be more productive throughout the whole day. Okay. And it also is okay. tremendous in terms of reducing stress. So any mm. stress I might be feeling, the second I do CrossFit, I release all of my stress in a really healthy and productive way, and it feels really great. Um, mm. And then that way I can kind of let go, and then I can face whatever else is coming to me that day. And then the other thing is I do, so I go home, I meditate for a little while after a shower and mm. stuff. Um, I, um, I give myself just a, I, I don't do a lot of meditation because honestly, like it's hard to find the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm such a, such a, you know, type A go-getter kind of person. It's like I have to force myself to sit still right. for a while, but it is very, right. I know it's very good. It's very good for me and it feels really good mm-hmm. to do. So I do, mm-hmm. I do a short meditation session, do some good deep breathing, you know, kind of go through a couple of mantras and then I go. Uh, and what's short I, um, for you? Like one minute or 10 minutes or? Uh, usually between five to 10 minutes. And if I can fit that in, it's like, okay, that's something I know I can commit to, you know, and Mm -hmm. I can fit it in. And it it feels great to do longer if I have time, but 
Um, mm-hmm. But I know I can always fit that in, and it always feels good, and it's better to do that than nothing, I figure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, then I go and I do an extra an extra commute to work in which I take, like, I walk to work because I work mm. in downtown Ithaca, and I live in downtown Ithaca. So my, my commute is actually only about six blocks. But what I do is I take a longer walk, and I walk sort of partly up the hill to, towards Cornell, and then I walk back down the hill. And um, it gives me a little bit of extra kind of walking meditation time. And I really hmm. like having that time because the one thing I don't get a lot of when I'm in the office just kind of banging stuff out and getting things done, it doesn't allow me the time I need to sort of dream and sort of touch base with the more visionary part of myself. And that's mm-hmm. a big important part of being an entrepreneur, too, is being able to make bigger sort of connections and see visions, see ideas, um, and, and, you know, put together those sort of larger, you know, those larger issues in the big picture. Um, I can get lost in the details during the day very easily and like, okay, what are my tasks and asana, you know, which are these things, what are these meetings I have to bang out. Um, but I also need to allow space for creative thinking too. Mm-hmm. That's part important part of leadership. So when I have that little bit of extra walking commute, I use that as an opportunity to kind of daydream and give myself cool. space to have a little more creative thinking time. Um, and then by the time I get to the office, I've gotten a lot. I already feel like I've already done kind of a lot of my basic self-care, you know, mm. rituals. And then I can just yes. bang out. And then the rest of the day is all for everyone else. The rest of the day is for my team, my clients. You know what I mean? Just, bang, you know, for the okay. going with all my meetings, banging everything else out, and then taking care of my children, you know what I mean, and taking care of all their right. needs. But I can also only do that in part because I have an incredibly supportive husband who's really a partner okay. to me, not just in the business, but at home. So he really takes care of the kids a lot in the morning so that I can have okay. that time for those kind of self-care, you know, rituals. And um, and then I take care of the kids more in the afternoon and evening. So it works out that we really have a good balance with that. And I don't think I could do that without having a really good partner. And how did you set up that agreement with him where that were sort of the division of, of roles? And how did that come, come to be? It's uh, a great question. I think it's, you know, it's kind of been that way from the start. I think it, it came from partly just finding a partner who I had a feeling right from the start would be more of a more of kind of an equal equal partner. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I think, just apparent early on in our relationship that we were just a good team, you know. Mm-hmm. And we both have we both naturally have some different strengths and weaknesses, so we definitely complement each other. And I think that's really really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but we also both are you know both are kind of willing to you know put in whatever's needed um, to to get done whatever the sort of chores of life are. And I think you realize like going into a marriage, it really is this, it is this real partnership. And there's a lot of work that needs to get done as part of just your home life. When you have kids and when you have a family, Mm -hmm. you know, just all your home chores, when you own a home and you have just chores to take care of, there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of sort of life chores. It's a lot of work. So, you know, finding someone who's not just someone who you're, you know, romantically interested in, but who's also Mm -hmm. like a really great partner and who is someone who's going to be a, who's going to be a really good team for you when it comes to getting all that, you know, Get, getting the sort of work and the chores done um, is really, really incredible and really important. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of underrated and under, it's not something that's often talked about. And, you know, when you're like doing matchmaking and you're trying to find somebody who's like the perfect yeah. fit, you talk a lot about, you talk about values and you talk about, you know, chemistry and you can talk about genes and appearance and all kinds of other things. Um, and, and sure, those things are all really important or family background, all those things are really important. But ultimately it's like, are you guys going to be a good team? 
and are you going to be able to work well together? And we're a really good team. We work well together. Um, and it's, and then it's the same at work too, because ultimately it's some of the same principles you have to go in looking for a team, you know, when you're building out a team as, as an entrepreneur is you also have to look for people who, yes, maybe they have some good chemistry. Maybe yes, you like them as a person. Sure. That's important. But what's most important is can they work with you as a team? Again, can they get the job right. done with you? Do they have the right. right skills and the right personality to balance out what everything else is going on? And can they, you know, and can they get the work done? Um, so it's, um, it's, I don't know. I think it's a very interesting way to kind of perspective or way to look at it. It's fascinating. It's fascinating and super powerful. And how long have you been married to your husband? Uh, it's been now, oh my gosh, like 13 years. Okay. And so when you, did you actively know that's what you were looking for when you met and married him or did it just sort of come you know, to be that way? I think it just came to be. So again, I think it's just mm -hmm. something that I, you know, I learned in, in retrospect. That's something that sometimes there's a lot of things that you maybe don't know going into them, but right. you learn them in retrospect. And it's good to be able to share those lessons now. Share like, those I wish lessons. I knew that going yeah. into it because I, you know, I definitely dated people who wouldn't have been as good at, you know, mm -hmm. who would not have been as good a teammate. And, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I think it was just, it was definitely, there's definitely a certain element of luck also in kind of coming across the right person at the right time, but there's also an element mm -hmm. of being open to it. Right. The intentional, like if, as a lesson in retrospect for, you know, other women who are still searching for their life partner, um, there's an element of being intentional about adding that to what's important to what you're looking for as well. So that's, Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you can see it early on. You can see it early on. Mm -hmm. Like, is this person, you know what I mean? Do they just sit around or do they get up and naturally start doing the dishes or helping out? Mm -hmm. Like, is it a person, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. you can see signs yeah. early on of like, is this a person who expects to be waited on, expects, you know what I mean? And is mm -hmm. not going to follow really traditional gender roles or is this a person who's going to be, you know, really in the modern world and really playing a more active at taking a more active role at home and a more active role at work, you know what I mean? And really balancing those out alongside, you know, alongside their partner. Oh my gosh. I so could have a really with thrive, days you know? with you. Yeah. I could have a conversation <laughs> with days. I think we need to do a follow-up in the part two, <laughs> but I think <laughs> it's been absolutely amazing talking with you. And um, I mean, you have such an interesting background and story and so many wise pieces of advice and, and, and lessons and just, um, just really, you know, I really appreciate how you shared from the heart and we're really uh, transparent and vulnerable with your own company and with your own life choices. And it's been really valuable for, I'm sure all of our listeners. Um, thank you so much for, for, for being a part of this interview series thank with us, Louisa. Thank you, Sumi. And it's, no, it's my <laughs> pleasure to get to talk to you who are also just such an amazing woman entrepreneur and I have so much respect for you. So th thrilled to be a part of this. And, um, oh, and yeah, look, for, look forward to look forward to hearing the, the finished part two. Here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Great. awesome. All right, all my love. Take care. Bye. All right, thanks, Sumi. Take care. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you all so much for spending your time with us today on the Conscious Life Podcast. Listen before you go. If this podcast has impacted your life in a positive way, we'd be so appreciative if you'd take a minute right now to head over to iTunes and rate us and leave us a short review. It would help us in so many ways to continue to feature these amazing guests and get the word out about this movement. So, so grateful for all of your support. And if you want to be clued into everything else going on in our community, head over to www.sumi.cafe. 
www.sumi.cafe and join our email list. So much love to you all and bye for now.